Hello, and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And after giving Tristan so much crap for not being here the last two weeks... Oh, you guys Doug, gave me crap? Doug, where you at, man? Where you at? Oh. oh. I can't give Doug too much grief. Uh, he had a prior commitment, so he is unable to be with us tonight. Wow. Did Doug say that about me? Uh, I think I said that about you. I think he mostly just kind of gave you some grief. Uh, Um, It's fine, though. It's fine. We all love each other, man. And, you know, it's funny that I mentioned love. Because this movie (laughs) that we watched this week has a lot to do with love. Yeah, sure does. I do like that segue. At least two things to do with love. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Tristan, what did we watch this week? Oh, boy. Thanks for asking. We watched the 2016 film Loving. I don't know why I asked you. Uh, I just got the IMDb page pulled up. Yeah, it's Loving from 2016. It was directed by Jeff Nichols and stars Ruth Naga, Joel Edgerton, and some other people, including that comedian. What's his name? Nick Kroll. God God bless him. (laughs) Yeah. So you guys were surprised by that. I recognized him but wasn't sure why, so it wasn't that big of a (laughs) thing for me. Um, this movie has 7 out of 10 on IMDb. It's got a 79 meta, meta score. Mm-hmm. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got 88%. And a 4.6 on Google. And 4.6, okay. Wait, what? Out of how many on Google? 4.6 out of 5. Oh, oh okay. okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I was, I was going to point out real quick, it's 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, but um, it's actually got an audience score of 76 that's interesting. Yeah, I, I guess because it's pretty slow. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Uh, I, I guess. I I don't like that, but I guess I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ben, Elijah, what's Tristan? your experience with this film? I've never seen it. I haven't either. Um, I remember... remember when it came came out? Yeah, I do. I saw it advertised and wanted mm-hmm. to see it. And never did. My whole family watched it without me and said, this is good, you should watch it. <laughs> so today I finally did. Oh, oh nice. Yeah, I, I remember it coming out too. I wanted to see it, but I never did. Yep, I briefly remember it coming out, but that that's about it. Uh, just never ended up seeing it until y'all were like, hey, let's do this for the podcast. And I was like, sure, let's do it. Well, I, I just really wanted to see it. I thought, yeah. I mean, I thought... It, I mean, that's how we... In- end up with half the movies that we do on the podcast one of us just really wants to see it true yeah yep <laughs> yeah so this movie is like really southern mm. it's really country southern like just rural simple folk like i think we all kind of grew up around uh, at least in you know it, in some percentage or other i mean uh it <laughs> yeah. was Accents that were pretty familiar to us and things like that. Like all of us that are part of the podcast, not the audience. Who knows where you guys are from? Oh, right. The Netherlands. Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, are the Dutch listening? Yeah. So, oh, man. Uh, but I thought that was interesting um, just because of the, uh, I mean, I know this happens all the time, but uh, Joel Edgerton is Australian and Ruth Naga, I looked it up. She is Ethiopian Irish. Interesting. And she has an Irish both, accent, though. Yeah, I, I, we were looking at interviews right before this. She has an Irish accent. and uh, But in this movie, everybody's, like, real Southern. Yeah. I, I, I think I've seen a trend 
of Australians, and I, you know, I can't. Please don't ask me to back this up, but I, I think I've, I think I've noticed Australians are playing Southern people, and like it happens. Um, yeah, maybe it happens normally, but like it just seems to stand out to me. Well, I know, like, I just know a lot about Appalachia because that's where my people are from, and you know, the white folks from Appalachia have their roots in Ireland and Scotland and Wales. And so those accents kind of evolved into what's now the Southern Appalachian accent that my whole, yeah. my whole speaks with. And, uh, I mean, Australian, that's not that far from British and Welsh either. So I feel like they're, those accents probably have more in common than is different. Like I think, uh, British Isles and Australian accents are probably closer to the American South than the American <laughs> North or Midwest or West. Yeah, I agree with that. That's probably why. Also, I, I guess when you think of like the the dry heat of Australia, like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's you like know, south, south. I I've always growing up, I always thought Australians were just as cowboy as Americans are. That turned out not to be as true as I thought it was, but <laughs> I was always under that impression. Yeehaw, yeehaw, boy. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Apparently, anyway. <laughs> um... <laughs> Tristan, why don't you tell us what the movie's about? Sure thing. So this is a movie that, um, dramatic, uh, heck, what is the word? Dramatizes. Dramatizes. Thanks. The, uh, the, the, the true story of the Loving family. You have Richard and Mildred Loving. Um, they were a couple back in the 60s who, um, loved each other in the state of Virginia and they got married in the state and the district of columbia um, and they moved back to virginia after that because it's where they lived um and then they got in trouble with the police they got sent to jail a few times because the uh racist police said that we're not going to uh accept that as a as a marriage license they they like nullified it in their own court system so they went to court a few times until eventually uh, they had to move to D.C. because they kept moving back to Virginia. <laughs> uh, and eventually they kicked them out and said, if, if you move back here again, we're going to put you in prison, basically. So for five years, they lived in D.C. They eventually uh, got in touch with a lawyer. Um, there was two lawyers who took their case all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, and... They uh, they won. The, I mean, historically, it, it was one of the big civil rights cases of that era, um, and it paved the way for all fifty states to um, to uh, have marriage between any race. It just made that possible, whereas before, different states had laws against that. Yeah, they had anti-miscegenation laws. Yes, you couldn't. That's the word. There was no interracial marriage, no mixed children. Um, they they said in the movie that mixed children were considered bastards. Um, yeah, just just by virtue of their ethnic background. Um, and then this case made that unconstitutional. Yeah, so it was pretty big. Also, uh, Chief Justice or- Earl Warren presided over it. Uh, progressive um, Chief Justice of the time. There, there were a lot of civil rights cases that he, um, you know, 
was a part of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess that's the word. But yeah, that's it, Ben. How's that do it for you? That was very good. Uh, Thanks. This, I don't know if it was mentioned earlier, but uh, this movie was nominated for one Oscar uh, for Best Performance by a Leading Actress. Uh, it didn't win. Um, let's see, what did win that year? Um, ah, Emma Stone for La La Land won it that year. Ah. One of Tristan's well, favorite movies. Yep. It is. It's up there. I don't know if I can disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. Although well, it was, both were good. So. Okay, so I mean, this... on that note, uh, I think that sets us up well to transition into talking about the acting for this film. Because uh, Ruth Naga does an incredible job with this, I think. Um, I just feel like every time she comes on screen, it's uh, just one of those that just grabs your attention right away. Uh, she and uh, Joel Edgerton, who plays her husband, um, the chemistry between them, I thought was really good. This is the... I recognize both of them, um, and I've seen Joel Edgerton in like a couple other things and never really paid much attention to him before this. And then Ruth Nega, I don't think I've seen her in anything except this, but, um, I mean, I think this movie's enough to make me fans out of, out of both of them. They were good. Mm -hmm. Every time Joel Edger Edgerton, uh, cried on screen, I wanted to cry too. Agreed. It was good. It was emotional acting and often really subtle, which I appreciated. Yeah, no, I I did cry. There was a that part when he was talking. You know, he was saying, "I just I want to take care of you." Mm -hmm. He's yeah, that was a really good emotional performance, um, and I, I think it sets it up well because of his character is kind of hardened, mm -hmm. um, and you know, I guess when you when you see someone like that and you see them be emotional, it's a little. It means they're they're not faking it now. Yeah, right. It's real. Yeah, it was heartfelt for sure. Mm -hmm. I'd say the parts that really uh, got me for uh, with Joel Edgerton uh, were the parts where his like protective instincts kind of kick in. Um, like there's the one scene with, um, I think it was um, the brother of. Um, was it her brother, Mildred? Or was it his friend? The, I, I couldn't the, tell. The guy who comes to bring him news. Yes. Yeah. Where he's like uh, driving down uh, the driveway and he thinks that he's coming. Um, he thinks it's the police. Like someone's chasing after him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like seeing his like protective instincts kick in. Like, I mean, it, it like this movie is kind of slow. Um, not necessarily in a bad way, um, but it's kind of slow. So like that one, like just that little bit of like, is something about to happen? Like he plays it really well. So it's, it doesn't feel like unnatural, but it's enough to be like, Oh, is something about to happen? Yeah. Those moments were good. They were well-written and well-acted. Hey guys, what's up? It's your old pal Ben, and y'all already know I'm here to give you some announcements. Now, before I get started on those announcements, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who is listening to this episode right now. 
So thank you. You're awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Now, if you're interested in signing up for our Patreon, you can get all sorts of cool bonus content. We've got uh, bonus episodes. We've got early access episodes, all sorts of cool stuff. You can check that out at patreon.com slash vitermedia. Another cool way that you can support us is by getting a sticker or a button from our merch store. You can find that at vitermedia.com slash merch. Now, the easiest way that you can support us is just keep on doing what you're doing. Keep listening. Share us with your friends. Share us with your family. Share us with that guy that's right down the street from you that you always walk past. Now, that's all I've got this week. Be sure to go check out the other shows on Viter Media. We've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday and new episodes of Tea with Doug G every Monday night at 9. Now, let's get back to the show. What do you guys think of the writing and directing? Uh, I, I think it worked really well. Um, I mean, like I mentioned, this movie was a little slow. Uh, and I don't, I, I do want to keep saying, I don't mean slow in a bad way. Um, it was slow in that it gives you time to really focus on what is happening in the movie without there necessarily being a lot going on. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, like, the plot itself is very linear. There's not, like, a lot of different branching storylines. Like, it, it's essentially just a through plot. Like, you can focus almost, or, I mean, you can focus entirely on what is happening with, um, why can I not remember their names? Richard and Mildred. Um, and not lose sight of anything that's going on. Like, you have, like, a couple of scenes that are focused on, like, the lawyers from the ACLU were something else but almost entirely this movie is about richard and mildred and i really like that because i mean a lot of times you do get movies that try to tell you like five different stories that all have like interconnecting plots and sometimes you just don't need that yeah i like that you said that i noticed that this um this movie doesn't focus on the lawyers very much at all Mm -hmm. like it doesn't try to make it their story too um, they they could have easily made this movie about the lawyers who won the case that made anti-miscegenation laws unconstitutional, but they chose to focus on the couple instead, just like a simple country couple that fell in love um, and didn't care <laughs> what what the law said. Um, they didn't do anything wrong. They were in love and they got married. I liked this scene where um, they're they're testifying in court, you know, but but the couple, the loving couple, they don't go to court to witness the proceedings. So the lawyers are there arguing their case, and meanwhile, they're just trying to live. And it's just, uh, while you can hear the, the arguments going on in the case, uh, in, in, in court, and you just see Richard and Mildred, like, put their kids to bed and then go to their bedroom and shut the door. Like, they're just trying to live, you know? <laughs> they're just minding their own business, they're in love and doing their thing. Um, just trying to live. That's kind of the vibe that I got from the way those characters were written and acted. And I liked it. Yeah, this, um, I was, I was looking up the cinematography. Um, like I guess mainly looking up the technology because it seems, uh, I guess I may skip around here with this topic, Ben. You're fine. Sorry. But, um, uh, the, the, it was shot in film. It was shot in 35 millimeter film, which is unusual of movies now. Uh, most movies are shot in digital. 
So um, I was I was talking about the color grading earlier before we started the uh, podcast, hmm. and I don't know enough about that. I don't know enough about film to tell you if that is like. Basically, what I'm saying is I don't know what anything <laughs> about. You do nothing. know some things, Tristan. Um, but it was shot in 35 millimeter film, which is a fun fact. If you guys out there know anything about film, now you know that fact. So thanks for coming today. That's okay. So the the color grading. What's what's the significance with that? I got. I was I was saying that it um it seemed to be sh- like it seemed to be very black and white the movie at least in the first half um I noticed a lot of almost undersaturation of uh, images which if you completely saturate an image it's, it's just black and white um so I was noticing that I think that was an intentional move um i don't i i don't know if the film helped with that like i said but it it, they definitely did that so i thought that was interesting um it wasn't until they actually got out of you know like the first half of the movie it wasn't until they actually really met the lawyers that you started to see more pops of color show up throughout the movie um i thought that was a pretty cool thing so Mm mm-hmm Well, um, Ben, you keep saying it was slow, and I agree. You know, I think this was a... Like, this is a really valuable movie. This is a biography, a biopiece that deserves to be made. Um, But just by the nature of the story and what happened, it's going to be slow, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, like I keep saying, that's not a bad thing. I know, yeah. I don't necessarily think it is either. I do think it probably affects the watchability of this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, we've all just watched it for the first time, but I feel like like I wouldn't mind seeing this movie for the second time, but even the first time watching it, you obviously know where it's going. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you don't Google it, you know what's happening. <laughs> you know what's how the movie's going to end. And so that coupled with the fact that it's um, slow-paced and, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of a... It's, it's, not, it's not a bad thing. But it's it's almost like uh, it's just inevitable when you're telling this story that it's going to be like that, and I suspect that that'll affect the watchability, uh, and that's probably why this movie doesn't have higher ratings on some of those platforms. I mean, I definitely believe that's why the um, fan score is as low as it is on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I mean, a lot of just um, lay film watchers want something that's going to keep their attention that is kind of fast paced. Yeah. Uh, I mean, your stereotypical film viewer is not going to intentionally seek out something like this that is slower. It's honestly, that's more character driven. Yeah. They're they're like, where's Iron Man? When is something going to happen? Say character driven movies. A lot of the times are not typically enjoyed by the mass public. Because they don't have, like, a super rich plot that you can follow. I mean, we've talked about plenty of character movies on this podcast that even we didn't like. Like, I remember There Will Be Blood. Huge character film. <laughs> Doug and I did not like it. Tristan loved True. It. Right. It's my second favorite movie. Yeah. I, uh... Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about that movie, but I didn't hate it. <laughs> hmm. 
Well, they 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 did a good job in this movie with fleshing out the characters, mm-hmm. especially with the lovings, um, and but also showing what happened at the time, mm-hmm. uh, which is usually I don't know. I, I I think we're seeing it more and more now, you know, in in newer uh, biopic movies, mm-hmm. but previously. It just, it just wasn't. It was like, take, uh, take John Adams with, um, what's his name? The guy that played John Adams in that famous, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> what, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. You're talking about in Hamilton, the the miniseries. No, <laughs> um, who played him? Uh, it was, it I, was Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti played. I John didn't Adams. see that. I don't know. Neither oh, okay. Well. I think we watched it in, in in class in school. But anyway, it was it was it was a movie or it was a I'm sorry, it's a miniseries that came out like twelve years ago or something, and it had Paul Giamatti in it. And it was one of those where it's like, oh, this is a this is a biopic that has a like character development. Um, there was another movie about the Loving Case that came out in 1996, and it was on Showtime. And it was meant to be a biopic, but Mildred Loving, uh, at the time, said that it wasn't accurate. Mm. That's she said the only. Lost... Okay. She said the only accurate part about it was that she had three kids. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. So I, I think there was also a documentary that came out in 2011. The this film is more based on. Uh, I think I remember reading that on the IMDb page. Mm-hmm. Well, this film clearly is trying to get really close to the true story. They want you to know that because they, they end the movie with that photo of the real couple on the couch laughing at the TV, which is a moment they very carefully, it seems, recreated on screen. Um, but, you know, it looks very natural. Like, I didn't realize, I didn't think this looks forced or anything. I didn't realize that's what they were doing. And then they show you that the real photograph at the end that they recreated, and you're like, "Oh, that's sweet," <laughs> you know. So um, I haven't like read books on on this situation or anything, but it, from from what I can tell, it looks like they were really faithful to what really happened. Yeah, as a photographer who was trained as a photojournalist, um, that was that was neat. I thought that was neat to see the life or the life photographer, hmm. um, and. Uh, what was his name? Gray Villette, I think. Yeah, it was Gray Villette. Um, and that's like just sitting around and talking, like the way he approached, um, the way he approached both of them when he first arrived. That's like, that's good. That's how you want to do it when you when you're covering someone or approaching a delicate subject like that. You have to be really careful especially something as delicate as this um especially with someone like richard loving who is just naturally not as trusting as other people so i mean that was cool to see and i appreciated that it felt it felt very accurate to what i know a photographer does and how a photographer is supposed to act around people and how a photographer is supposed to um supposed to understand the story rather than just take pictures You're supposed to make pictures and by the way speaking of the photographer 
We didn't even mention he's played by Michael freaking Shannon. That's right. Mikey would Mikey would love that. Yeah, and Doug. He's played by Michael Shannon. We have literally raved about him on our podcast before, and we didn't even mention him. Oh, he just pops in real quick. He says, hello, I'm here for a yeah. next <laughs> I was like, whoa, it's that guy. And he was playing a pretty different role, because when we've talked about him on the podcast before, it's always been like... A villain or something. He could, he could give you half of a look, and you would drop what you're holding and run. But in this yeah. movie, he's, not, he's quite the opposite of that. Another uh, podcast favorite that's involved with this film, Colin Firth, was a is one of the listed producers. Huh. We love Colin Firth. That's well, true. That does, at least. So, um, something I want to, um, I guess, pose to you. Um, so, the last few weeks, we've watched entirely films that were quote-unquote based on a true story you know we watched harriet we watched black clansman and now we watch loving uh tristan i know you weren't here for this uh but feel free to interject anyway how do y'all feel like this holds up as a film that is based on a true story maybe compared to those two or maybe just kind of on its own well Let's see. We talked about Black Klansmen being based on a true story, but adding things. Right. And I personally, even though I like that movie, felt like the things they added actually largely took away from the story. Mm-hmm. And with Harriet, it was a true story where they took so much out or summarized so much that was really a big deal that it felt like they should have split it into a part one and part two so they could tell the whole Civil War story in part two. So they left a bunch of stuff and out. even a part three to talk about her post-Civil War <laughs> yeah. Uh, career. Yeah, you can't... It turns out you you just can't tell the story of Harriet Tubman in one movie. They they needed another one, at least. I don't know. Um, I don't know all that much about the Loving versus Virginia case that this movie's about. Uh, I only know, like, what a quick Google search could tell me. <laughs> but from what I could see, this is really accurate, and the movie definitely... It it doesn't make any like grandiose like look at me sort of gestures like trying to trying to make this story into something more sensational than it is. They just kind of they don't dress it up. They they just kind of tell the simple emotional story that it is. Um, it doesn't look like they're trying to dress it up as anything more than that. And I think that's a good move. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like they take the story as it is and they present it to you, like. <clears throat> I mean, like we talked about with Black Klansman, it would have been really easy to throw in some scene at the end about how some, like, the police officers from the beginning of the movie getting their just desserts or whatever for mm-hmm. arresting the, uh, them to begin with, but they don't. Like, it, it's a much different tone. Yeah. And personally, I, I really like it. Like, this film decides what its tone is, and it, it sticks with that. Uh well I didn't I haven't seen those movies you guys mentioned. Um but yeah, I mean the the tone is it's um it, it's it's somber, I guess, uh, for mm. much of the time with like like inklings of hope. Yeah, it stays pretty consistent the whole time. Yeah. I guess I don't have anything to say about that. Mhm. Okay. That's her. Uh, I mean, it's just something I wanted to post since the last now three weeks we've done movies that are based on a true story. Yeah, yeah, that's so. an interesting question. 
And I feel like there are three very different takes on the idea of being based on a true story. Yeah. So it's a true. I want to tackle this last one. Yeah. So, so it's a true story about the real case that made American anti-miscegenation laws unconstitutional, mm-hmm. and uh, after that, yep. folks all over the country, um, interracial couples could get married without, you know, legal repercussions, and uh, that happened. What was the year? 1967. 67. And we were born in the mid-90s, so mm-hmm. long after... So not... Well, I was going to say not that long before. Okay, it, yeah, in the broad scheme of things, yeah. <laughs> it hasn't been that long. But, I mean, we were born uh, several decades after yeah. this I mean, happened. We were all born about 30 years after yeah. all this happened. You're saying several decades is too strong. A couple Probably. decades. <laughs> A couple Maybe a few. Uh-huh. A few Three. decades after this happened, we came into the world, we came onto the scene, and yes. discovered that the the controversy around this issue wasn't over, because it didn't end when when this court case happened. No, sir. And so we sure grew didn't. up in the South, kind of surrounded with attitudes pretty similar to the ones that the cops have in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember there was uh, one quote that one of the cops said at the beginning of the film, um, you know, God made a sparrow and a robin uh, different, or something along those lines. Like, he made them different for a reason, trying to equate that to, you know, God made black people and white people different, so you shouldn't intermingle them. And I'm not going to lie, I heard that and really just kind of wanted to punch him in the face. Yeah. Because it's one of those lines that, you hate that that was like an actual line of thought, right? And and we've heard things like that, right? It, um, it still is, though, right? Yeah. Uh, that there. I mean, there's also a letter in the movie that is read by one of the lawyers. That I don't remember it specifically, but um, it is. What was it? Was it a letter it, or was it like a ruling? It yeah, it was from the from court. Uh, it was like a court decision, I think. You're right, it was a ruling. And it was like God put this ethnic group here and this one here and this one here and he separated the continents to keep them apart. Right, yeah. So you shouldn't mix them, <laughs> right? Like, what's, can you cite a source for that, please? Because I, <laughs> I don't think there's God. anything in geological or biological science or scriptures that's going to back you up. Where is this coming from? Well... Speaking of scriptures, there are people I know close to me and just growing up who have quoted the um, part of the Bible where it talks about being equally yoked as that is like a a source of of this, you know, and then and it's it's paper thin. It's like a it's like the, the bad explanation that I just gave you is what I received when I was young. Oh, yeah. It's like it, and, and that was it. And I grew up like thinking that kind of thing until when I was older, I guess maybe I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school, like literally like, um, it was actually, uh, well, I'll, I'll just say it was a friend of mine who, um, was like, you know, that's not accurate. Right. And I'm like, Oh really? (laughs) And I, I didn't like, I just didn't know. No one, you know, it's not the way I was raised, I guess. So, 
It's it's more commonplace than you think, and it is pretty wild that mm-hmm. it still exists. And yeah. it's yeah, it's utterly nonsensical. There's there's no reasonable way to back it out uh, to back it up. It's just white supremacy at work, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's score this sucker. Uh, if this is your first time listening to us, we use a pretty simple scale. It's uh, just 1 to 100. Uh, 100 means it is a perfect movie. It has absolutely zero flaws. It cannot be broken. Normally, this is the time where I would uh, <clears throat> gesture to Doug, but he's not here. Um, but yeah, uh, it can also go all the way down to a 1, which means that it is a steaming pile of turds. So with all that said, who would like to go first? I'll do it. Alrighty, Tristan. I enjoyed this movie, and I felt emotions in this movie and uh you know i i talked about this movie for a little while and to be honest with you i didn't have a whole lot to say about this movie other than good movie um so i am gonna give this movie an 87 uh because it wasn't particularly outstanding to me like i'm not gonna like put the poster on my wall but um I enjoyed myself, you know, so it gets. I think it should get a pretty high B. All right, cool. Uh, well, like you, I I really enjoyed this movie, but also didn't really find much to say other than it was a good movie. Uh, I think it tells a really important story, um, but as far as like it just being a movie, it's not exactly a super easy watch, and I don't know that it would be. A great rewatch just with how slow it kind of moves um still definitely worth a watch though uh i'm gonna go a little bit lower i'm gonna give it an 84 okay yeah i was gonna say 83 um same reasons i mean this the movie is slow and i imagine it's probably not all that rewatchable but it is a very well well done movie and very valuable and beautiful all right well, after plugging that into our patented scorometer, thank you for that. Uh, we get a final score of eighty-four point six seven. So, yeah, it's a pretty solid movie. Boy, howdy, we done did it again, folks. We done did it again, and we're gonna we said, done do it again next week too. Uh, Tristan, what are we watching next week? Well, I'm. I wish you hadn't asked. It's. Can I say it? Yes, you can. It's the it's the modern semi classic hoodwinked. Modern oh. semi-classic. Of course. We'll go with that, sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. We've got a great guest lined up. You do not want to miss it. Uh, but until next week, be sure to follow us on social media at Vider Media. Check out all the other cool stuff we do. We've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday and new episodes of Tea with Doug G every Monday night at 9. And until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And this has been Setting the Skein. Y'all have a great week.